Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. This is probably not a new truth to you, but storms can come quickly, can't they? Uh, if you've ever been out on the sea, and it could be a beautiful day, everything looks really good, and then suddenly something happens. Remember years ago, I think it was the first year that we went to Beulah Beach for our uh, junior camp, and it was really great. We had a few people lined up with really nice bigger boats that would be on Lake Erie, and we were going to take kids out on a, on a trip. And we could dock over by Cedar Point, which was maybe about a half mile away, and they could come in, and uh, it was just really, really good until the afternoon storm came. And it was amazing to me to see how fast a storm on Lake Erie came in. And we did have a couple boats that we had moved over to the camp. We got the kids out of the boats really fast. But what was about a one-minute trip from there to the campground, the one boat trying to go back took about an hour and a half in the storm to get back there. It was, it was really almost scary. Uh, and that happens. And if you're on the water or maybe uh, even away from water, if you live in mountains or on the plains, they can come really, really quickly. In life, storms come pretty quickly too, don't they? All of a sudden, there's a phone call that has totally changed your, your life immediately. Or in some cases, a strange visitor who comes and rings the doorbell to give you some very bad news. Storms come in all kinds of sizes, all kinds of shapes, and all kinds of intensities. This is going to maybe not make a lot of sense to you, but uh, in Nahum, chapter 1, verse 3, there's a verse that says, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. That makes sense. We know that. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. We believe that too. And his way is in the whirlwind and a storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. God is there and obvious and evident, and everything that we experience, even in the worst of situations, whether it's a whirlwind or a storm, and in the cloudiness of the situation, God is there working. We don't always see that. We don't always sense it. Uh, I don't want to take a lot of time, but uh, a good friend of mine uh, this week had an interesting experience. Why I'm telling you this is because uh, I pray often, every day at some point, if I'm praying out loud with somebody, I usually include the phrase, and God, help us to see your handiwork in our lives. Because it's there all the time. That's what this is saying. My friend, a guy named Bob Cones, was going to have a surgical procedure on Wednesday afternoon. And um, he, he and I are pretty close friends, so he keeps being informed on stuff. There's a lot of details, but here's what basically happened. He, uh, he was on the gurney, ready to go in. He's got the IVs all in him, and through a process, 
eventually the doctor comes back and says, hey, we're not gonna do this. Uh, we're gonna send you home, you're gonna be okay, we're gonna uh, treat it this way, we're not gonna do the surgery. Here's where seeing God, you may, I hope you're not this person, but are you the kind that would have said, well, that wasted my afternoon. <laughs> And I've heard that before, not from you, but I've heard it, you know, it's like, well, was that inconvenient? I could have gone to Walmart and stayed on, laying on a gurney. But here's what we need to learn how to do, is to see God in the details. Because having had the surgery, uh, and I don't know how, how that would have affected him, but he has other complications that would have affected him. There's a chance he would have been in the hospital overnight, or at best, he would have been home recuperating. The rest of the story is the next morning, a friend of his called him, and their son had overdosed and died from the drug thing, and they were going to see the body for the first time, and they were talking about it, and eventually the friend said, hey, would you come and be with us for this? It's going to be really hard. Bob got to go and be with him. And then while he was there and was getting ready to leave, and I'm not sure where these locations were, he was in an area where there was a rehabilitation place for people who are struggling with drug addiction. And he knew from birth a young man who was a patient there, and he thought, I'm going to stop in and visit him. And so he did. And he stopped in and and before he left, the young man said to him, Pastor Bob, you don't know what this means to me. I was ready to sign out myself out and leave this place and give up on everything. My point is, why did somebody schedule him for that surgery? Why did he go through all that prep and then get dismissed? God is in the whirlwind. God is in the thunder and the lightning and the storms. And, and if you just make yourself available to him, maybe you can see his handiwork in your life. This uh, goes on, the next verse says this, I believe. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry, and the dot, dot, dot means it goes on, and all kinds of other details. But um, we're gonna look at John chapter six, and we're gonna see in a short few verses uh, a story, verses 16 to 21, where God is over command of the sea and the storms. And he doesn't dry up the lake, but he certainly settles it down. Now in your bulletin, I do have for you that uh, the parallel passages, which are kind of interesting, are found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 to 34, and Mark 6, 45 to 51. If you were here last week, you would want to know that the morning time and the afternoon, probably about lunchtime, was when Jesus fed the 5,000 plus people who were there. So he did that tremendous miracle. He's now retired to get out of the out of the limelight. He goes back to have some solace and some time with his father. And he sends his disciples off and wants them to go ahead of him. This was an amazing day in the life of Jesus there in the area of Galilee. Scriptures tell us that uh, as it was getting late, Jesus made, that's literally what it says, not forced, but he just, he sent them on to go ahead and to get in a boat. 
And they were expecting Jesus to meet up with them, either at the boat or perhaps on the other side of the lake. I don't know exactly what all they were anticipating, but they expected to see Jesus at some point. Matthew tells us the story, and he includes uh, a part that Mark and John do not include, and that is that Jesus came walking to them on the sea. That's, they all have that. But Peter stepped out of the boat. And you may know about that story. And, and uh, he temporarily sank and Jesus saved him, saved him. Mark and John don't include that aspect. Now don't go thinking, well then maybe it didn't happen. That's not the point. They had other um, reasons for recording the story and they were going to get to it. John doesn't call it this, but he uses it and presents it as though it's one of the signs that point to uh, who Jesus is. There's a, a quote, I've been giving you one recently, but this one's from Moody Bible Commentary, and it says, A sign is a miracle designed to attest to the authority of a messenger and the validity of the message. It authenticates the message and the messenger. The sign is pointing to them and saying, this is true, this is real, this message is powerful, listen to it. Now John has a bunch of those in his gospel because remember he's trying to prove to you and I that Jesus really is God. So he has at least seven or eight times in there where he records specific miracles that Jesus did that are signs pointing toward the message that this messenger, Jesus, is God. In fact, John told us that in John chapter 20, verse 31, when he said, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's the only reason John tells you about it. It's a beautiful story. It's fun to tell about people walking. You know, it's calming storms and feeding people and healing people. That's great. But that's not the point of it. The point is to demonstrate that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. He is the Son of God. And that by believing, you can have life in his name. You can have eternal life by believing in Jesus as Christ. Now John also tells us in chapter 20 that Jesus did a whole lot more than what he recorded. Uh, he wasn't able to write everything down. In fact, in chapter 21 he tells us that if he were to write everything down, all the libraries in the world could not contain everything that Jesus was able to do. Uh, but these are the things that John says, I'm just going to give you a handful of these, seven or eight of these things, and these are more than enough proof for you to come to the point that you know that Jesus is God and that you need to trust him as your savior. John is absolutely convinced of this. So let's take a look at what happens here in John chapter six. And we're gonna see first of all that Jesus apart is apart from the disciples. Verses 16 through 18 says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. 
These disciples might have been just a little bit confused at this point. He fed 5,000 people. They were just all aglow with, let's make him the king. Let's, let's crown him now. Why did Jesus refuse that? They're probably wondering, Jesus, these people want you. They want, they want to put you on a pedestal. Why are you refusing this? They want to make you king. And we thought you were. You are the king. So why, why are we not doing this? But Jesus wants to teach them something, the disciples. He wants to show them that he does rule over creation. And he also wants to remind them and reveal to them that he really is God. They needed these daily affirmations. It says that he wasn't there, not yet. They expected him, but he hadn't joined them yet. He sent them on across to Capernaum, across this lake, Lake the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee sits about 700 feet below the sea level, and it's in a bowl amount of a lot of hills around it. The depth of it is relatively shallow. It's not a real deep sea. And from time to time, often, the winds would come funneling down through the hill area, coming from the Mediterranean Sea, and the shallow water and, and the gust of winds could cause very sudden and violent storms. So it was not unusual for that to happen. Interesting. They were in trouble because they did what Jesus told them to do. Now, is that not the opposite of what you would expect? They did what Jesus told them to do, and now they're in trouble. They were in a storm because they were obedient to God. But you always thought, well, if I obey God, everything's going to be peachy keen. That's going to be really good. I'm going to be okay. We need to be reminded from time to time that it is inevitable that the followers of Christ will have storms in their life. Even when we obey God, it still comes. It may seem at times that God sends the trouble. Here we are, some... Some of these men on this boat were expert fishermen. Some of them were. And they knew the signs of the weather and the sea. And they knew all that stuff. And they wanted to get to Capernaum because that's what they had on their agenda. They probably wanted to get there before the storm struck because they saw this coming. They, some have estimated they may have been rowing literally for about nine hours to get through this. In their day, they used to often travel along the coastline. They didn't, if they didn't need to, they didn't go out into the deep if they didn't have to do that. It's possible that either the winds caused them to get out to the center of the lake, or maybe uh, they decided, we gotta beat the storm, let's just take the straight route and go right there. But they were probably about three and a half miles away from shore in the center when this started to get really pretty nasty. And I can just picture Peter being the one to take charge. Don't you think that's what would have happened? Peter is always the impetuous one. He wants, and couldn't you just hear him yelling to the others, okay, trim the ship, lower the sails, take up the oars. And they're all panic and frankly working. There was probably tumult and confusion going on everywhere while this ship in the middle of this lake is bobbing up and down like it was a cork on the water. 
They were all probably threatened with exhaustion. And they were at the mercy of the waves for a while. And you just wonder, did any of them start to think to themselves, has the Lord forgotten us? What's going on here? Apart from Jesus, they were lost. Apart from Jesus, you are lost. Apart from Jesus, everybody is lost. You have to be with Jesus. But Jesus appearing to the disciples, verses 19 through 20. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking in the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Jesus sees and he cares. In a parallel passage in Mark chapter 6, verse 48, it, Mark tells us that Jesus, who remembers back in the hill, sitting on the hill praying, he tells us that Jesus saw them struggling with the orbs. Three and a half miles out in the middle of the lake, and Jesus saw them struggling. I think that's part of Jesus' omniscience, uh, uh, part of his being God. But what you and I can take from that is that in dark times, we can be assured that he does see and he cares. That's why David read from Psalm 139 to remind us that where in the world can you go to hide from God to get away from him? You cannot. If you go to the depths, he's there. If you go to the heights, he's there. There's no place you can go and not be in the presence of our God. Wherever we go, he is there and he knows the details. Jesus comes to them. And that appearance must have been startling. <coughs> They're probably rowing, and if the wind's blowing this way, they probably got their back to the wind, and they're rowing as hard as they can into that storm. And they're looking back at the shore, and all of a sudden there's a figure on the water approaching them faster than they're able to to paddle themselves out. What in the world is this? Is it an apparition? Is it some kind of a water demon? I mean, what is it? Every, every tribe has their own uh, stories. This had to be very unnerving to them, to say the least. If the storm did not frighten them, and it may not have, Jesus appearing did. Now here's something that you and I, just reading this story, don't catch. But we need to catch this. This is really, really significant. Jesus says to them, it is I, don't be afraid. That is amazing. What you and I don't normally catch, because we're all English readers, uh, is the phrase, it is I. Let me tell you what that is. It's the Greek phrase, Eo am I. And it's the same exact thing that Jesus said about himself in John chapter 8, verse 58, when remember he was telling them uh, about Abraham before Abraham was, I am. And we always use that phrase to say, oh, that goes back to when God appeared to Moses. And when Moses said, how are they going to identify? Why would they listen to me? And God said to him, I am who I am. That's 
that's that phrase. The uh, ego amai is the Greek phrase that he uses in John chapter 8 when he says, the I am has sent you. I am the I am. And that's a reference back. This is a clear claim to I am the creator God. That is who I am. That's what Jesus said. That is a huge, huge thing. So Jesus is now approaching him and, and he identifies himself and he tells him, don't be afraid. I am God. I am the creator of everything. I'm in the whirlwind. I can dry up the rivers. I can do whatever I want. And that had to be a relief to them. Man, it had to be way above relief. It was some form of an excitement and comfort to them. It reminds us that God often comes to us in ways that we don't expect, doesn't he? They were not anticipating Jesus to come walking across that storm-ridden sea. But here he comes, and he appears to them. Verse 21 tells us that Jesus was received by the disciples. It says this, Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. He joins them in the boat. And once he joins them in the boat, that entering the boat assured for them safe arrival on the other shore. The word immediately there, it's not real clear in Greek, but it could have one of two possibilities. And so whichever one you want to believe, you're more than welcome to do that. But immediately arriving on the other shore could mean that as the wind subsided, that's what Mark said and Matthew said and John said, the winds subside a little bit, they died down, that maybe instead of the struggle and the fight of trying to get through it, now all of a sudden they were able to just get on course and go and, and get there quickly and safely at a, a good, reasonable pace. That's what it could mean. Or it could mean that bang, they were here and, and now all of a sudden they're three and a half miles away and they're docking on shore. It could mean either one. Whatever you want to believe is fine uh, and that's okay. I like the last one myself. But whatever it was, John doesn't necessarily record their reaction to the situation. He doesn't say, and here's how they looked at it. But we do, I think as you go to the next day and you see the conversation uh, that Jesus has with them and with the multitude, that their attitudes changed about 180 degrees toward him. Mark did say in his gospel when he recorded this, that they were completely amazed. That's probably an understatement. Because they didn't understand everything from the lows, Mark says. That, you know, they're just they're compiling data that tells them this Jesus is God and he's totally different than anybody else. Now they're starting to get it. Matthew said that they worshipped him, saying, Truly. You are the Son of God. They are getting the message. They're getting that data down correct. <clears throat> In record time, they went from fear 
to worship. Amazing. This miracle revealed for them his power over nature. And it was designed for the disciples and probably for us as well. Uh, because later in John chapter 6, and I know you know I like this verse a lot, that John gets this from uh, Peter. When the disciples that were listening, they were there following some of those 5,000 maybe, maybe some others, and Jesus is talking to them about who he is, and, it's, and he talked about the, the firmness of discipleship and following Christ, and a bunch of them jumped ship. They didn't want anything to do with it. And Jesus asked them, are you going to leave too? When he turned to his immediate apostle disciples, and Peter it is, and I like supplying that word, I think it's very okay linguistically, where it says, you alone have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Where are we going to go? Nobody else has the gift of eternal life except for Jesus. In Acts it says, Peter said that there's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Jesus is helping these followers to understand that accepting Jesus was not a mistake. Putting faith in Jesus was not a mistake. Trusting Jesus was not a mistake. Do you agree with that? Do you feel that accepting Christ as your Savior, that wasn't a mistake, that was a smart thing to do, that's a great thing to do. Putting your faith in Christ is that a mistake for you? I hope not. Trusting Him as Savior and Lord, is that a mistake? No. These disciples are growing in their understanding that Jesus is God incarnate in the flesh. I think you and I are growing in that understanding as well. There are storms in your life. They do happen. But it does not mean that God has abandoned you. He's with you. And when you face adversity, you need to remember that those who survive are those who live by faith. Those who know Christ the Savior. And for you as you're going through that, just remember who Jesus is and what he is able to do. There was another storm that Mark told us about that Jesus was involved in. That time, Jesus was asleep in the bottom of a boat. And there was a storm that threatened them. They were terrified. And Jesus woke up and he rebuked the wind and the sea and instantly it was still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. Jesus can bring great calm to your life no matter what you're going through. We may know Christ, but we never really know Him deeply until He comes to us during the storm. Let's pray together. Father, thank You so much for walking with us through this life, for helping us in, in all the different ways that You are available to us through prayer, through study of the Word, through fellowship and worship, through uh, you're just being intimate in our hearts and lives. 
and directing us in paths to go. Thank you that you do walk with us through storms and that you do overcome even the darkest things that come into our lives when we trust you. Lord, it is a great thing. It is nowhere near a mistake to accept you, to have faith in you, to trust you. For you alone are worthy. You alone have the words of eternal life. And we praise you for it through Christ. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.